0: Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Charles Pryor and you're listening to New Books in History, a podcast on the New Books Network. On the face of things, the Constitution is concerned with individual and collective rights, to free speech, assembly, religion, and that part about guns. Supreme Court cases serve as public tests of its core precepts, and lightning rods for current political argument. The focus, though, tends to be on the Bill of Rights. Between We the People and the end of the seventh article is everything else, of which the presidential oath of office is the most recognizable. The document's concern with the architecture of government, combined with disputes between originalists and loose constructionists, obscures the fact that the Constitution is not merely a mechanism of domestic law. In Perfecting the Union, Max Edling offers a very different account of the creation of the Constitution. It appeared at a juncture when a loose federation of states seized control of a large segment of the American continent from Britain and sought to establish a lasting republic in a political landscape dominated by indigenous and European imperial formations. This was an international as opposed to a purely national context. Edling's book reminds us that the founding was not a neat intellectual exercise of drawing up a new government but part of a messy, protracted and always violent process of carving states out of indigenous spaces and assuming a position among the powers of the earth. Max Edling joins me from Stockholm. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. Um, can we start with uh, a little background on on you, your work and, uh, um, those of us in the field know who you are, but for, for, for those who don't. And what led you, uh, secondly, to this, this project?
1: Sure. Um, the reasons why I got into American history is actually something that I don't quite know. It, it happened a long time ago now, uh, but I, I wrote a dissertation uh, about the american constitution and the ratification debates that followed on on the writing of the constitution and that led me to ask questions about the nature of the central government that was created by by the um, by the constitution and it also led me to inquire uh into the concept of of the state which is something that when i started out wasn't that bigger thing in, in American history, it tended to be fairly neglected, and that has all changed now. So that's basically who I am. Uh, I started on, on this book, Um must be, started thinking about this book now some six, seven, eight years ago, I think, um, and there's really two reasons why I wanted to, to do the book, so the first one is is a wish to showcase new works on the U.S. Constitution that um, works that have appeared in, say, the last two decades or so, and that together amount to a a new interpretation of, of the founding. And this new interpretation puts focus not on on domestic politics but on international politics, and that's international in really the widest possible sense. So it includes things like American Indian affairs and relations between the states forming uh, the American Union. So that's one reason. The second reason is is somewhat more complicated. So what the book tries to do is clear the ground for another shift in focus uh, in founding scholarship. But this time, it's not a shift from the domestic to the international, But it's from the national level of government to the state level of government and ideally even to the local level of government. So to me, these two things hang together and and they hang together like this. So in the first step, I, I try to challenge scholars who have interpreted the Constitution as primarily a document with domestic implications. And I do that by stressing the international causes and consequences of the Constitution. But then, secondly, I go on to offer a way to bring the domestic back into our stories of the founding. And to do so by de-emphasizing the constitution and the federal government, and instead asking scholars to look closer at state constitutions, state legislation, state common law, and even local regulations. So, uh, what... I set out to do in the book is is try and explain what kind of document the Constitution is and to explain why it mattered a great deal to some things but not so much to other things. Why the Constitution is enormously important uh, and enormously relevant to some aspects of of North American history and and not really that relevant or important to to other aspects of North American history.
0: So this is a uh, obviously a huge field um, I wonder briefly. Uh, can you sort of give us an overview? How has the historical contextualization of the Constitution evolved over time? To, so, to the point, where did you find it uh, when you when you started this project?
1: Sure. So, um, it's, to me, it's clearly the most significant shift is this move that I, I spoke about from from the domestic towards the international, and this I think involves placing the constitution in a new narrative context, if you like. So traditionally, the constitution has been seen as the answer to domestic problems or conflicts of interests, and the most famous of these interpretations, uh, I think still, is Charles Beard's uh, book, now more than a century old. Um, And his argument that that the conflict The constitution came out of a conflict between interest groups or social classes, and a conflict that concerned both political influence or democracy, and the distribution of resources or the economy. So this new scholarship that has appeared in the last two decades or so, emphasized instead that the constitution was the solution to international problems and sectional tensions. And these problems and tensions really stemmed from the US being so weak. Uh, And this was a problem when the US faced the Atlantic Ocean, but it was also a big problem when the US faced uh, the continental interior, the Western borderlands. So these new historians focus not on classes and social interest groups, but on polities, things like European monarchies, the American states that made up the union, and even native nations uh, and native confederations. They don't see a class struggle as the driver of what happens, as the driver of the political development. They see instead geopolitical competition as as the driver of political developments. So it is a kind of perspective shift that takes the constitution out of a, a traditional narrative of economic and political modernization And inserts it in a new narrative of of empire or of power. And I'm not sure anymore if it's in the book or if it's somewhere else. It's probably in the book, but I I put it something along these lines um, that Bede and his followers uh, see the Constitution as as an instrument that created a bourgeois state that was inward facing and Mm. really served to make North America safe for capitalism. And this new scholarship instead sees the Constitution as an instrument that created a stronger federal union and uh, a union that was outward-facing uh, and a union that made it possible for the U.S. to stand up to European competitors and to go on and very successfully conquer the continent of North America. So that, to me, is is the big shift that, that this book is part of and that I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to highlight in the book, so it's really important to me. I, so I try to advance the argument, um, but I also really want to to um, to, to emphasize the, the brilliant work of uh, of many scholars in the past in the past two decades.
0: So you, in in the interpretation that the book frames, you make two uh, specific arguments about the constitution. Uh, first. Uh, you define it as a federal treaty, uh, and second, that it is in itself an international agreement. Um, so there's, those are two big terms and concepts. Can you expand on what you mean by that?
1: Sure. Uh, I should I should start by saying that um, I'm generally a little hesitant about using the term treaty because it makes it sound like I'm um, I'm defending sudden secessionism, um, sudden secession mm. in 1861, and, and that that is absolutely not what this book is about. So whenever I can, I try to use less controversial terms like compact and, and, and federal union. Mm. But the point I want to make is, is pretty straightforward, and that is that there was nothing new, nothing controversial about federal unions or federal mm-hmm. republics, as they were also called. In, in 1776 or in 1787, they were in fact a well-known type of political organization. So what the Federal Union did was it pooled the resources of member states so that they could defend themselves against external threats and internal disruptions. And this was a great thing for republics because everyone, and I really mean everyone, knew that republics were small, they were weak, and they were turbulent. Mm. And for this reason, if the American republics that declared themselves independent in 1776 wanted to stay republics and wanted to stay independent, they really had to be united. So another well-understood feature of federal unions in this period was that they established a kind of division of labor, A division of labor between the governments of each member state, on the one hand, and the central or federal government, on the other hand. And what this division of labor meant was that the federal government looked after international interstate affairs, and the state governments looked after their own domestic affairs. And this... Uh, takes us back to the question about changing interpretations of the constitutions, right? So if the constitution was meant to take a dysfunctional federal union, that's the United States under the Articles of Confederation, and replace it with a more perfect union, we would then expect the federal government to be busy mostly in international politics, right? And rather than domestic politics. So things like trade politics, and so-called Indian affairs, defense, etc., uh, etc. Et
0: so, we come to the the concept that's that's in the title, uh, perfecting the union. So, what did a more perfect union look like, and how did the states and the Congress fit into that arrangement?
1: Sure, uh, the origin of of the of the constitution or the impulse behind this move to scrap the Articles of Confederation and replace it with something else was what I referred to earlier, this perceived or real weakness of the United States in dealing with with European powers, but also in guarding uh, the Western frontier and in managing the Western territories and selling the land. Uh, out, out in the in the western areas. So perfecting the union really means establishing a working federal union that would make that distribution of labor I was talking about into something real. And That meant strengthening the central or federal government, allowing it to take care of the matters that it was supposed to take care of, but it did not mean in my interpretation, that the states would somehow no longer be important. They would continue doing what they had done before. So the Constitution is very much about creating a functioning central government. It's not about changing the concept of the Federal Union as such. It's not about building a central government that is supposed to be uh, in charge of, of all aspects of politics. So, in Practice. This means then that we have a federal government looking after things like defense, uh, diplomacy, international commerce, but also doing some important internal stuff or things that we tend to think of as in- internal but have to do with the relationship between the states, so interstate affairs within the American Union. So really, really important aspect of that was managing the common market. So that includes... The, the standardization of coins and weights and measures, but also upholding the respect of contracts. It also involves things like managing a post office and managing post roads. But these are not new in the Constitution. These powers are actually all there in the Articles of Confederation, but it's just that the union under the Articles isn't working. We also have a very important thing that, that the federal government is expected to do, and that is to manage the West. And this is an enormously important resource, huge area with, with incredibly rich farmland. And we're talking about an agricultural economy here. So this is, this is, is a, an area that any government would want to control and also be able to, um, to make money out of by selling all that, all that land that is out in that area. But here, too, the federal government, up till the adoption of the Constitution, is very weak and totally unable to do anything uh, efficiently out in the West. It's got no army. It's got really no presence on the other side of the Appalachian um, Mountains. The federal government also uh, has to have the ability to to fund these various activities. So the taxing and borrowing clauses of the constitution are really important. That's one thing that didn't work under the Articles of Confederation, and uh, one of the things that that the founders felt really had to be reformed. But this still leaves a lot of things uh, that the um, that the states are supposed to manage, and I think for people. Living at this time, they weren't interested in creating a nation state. They wanted their republics, their little republics, to still be in charge of everyday affairs having to do with domestic matters. And these are really, um, you know, the, the, most of the things that that governments did at the time and still do. So things like education, religion. Uh, looking after morals, deciding what is a crime and punishing crimes, um, creating transportation systems, building roads, uh, rivers, um, clearing rivers, cutting canals, um, building bridges, etc. It involves things like promoting the economy, which, which state governments did by chartering banks, investing in business corporations, improving agriculture in different ways, It involves regulating labor, it involves supporting the poor, it involves regulating property, and it also involves something that I think people tend to think of as something um, happening at the national level uh, in modern times, and that is um, the definition and the policing of civil rights. But if you think of things like slavery and marriage in this period that were really important in determining status and rights, this this was entirely done at state levels. So in the more perfect union, the big change is having a federal central government that actually works, but keeping uh, states as these really important organizations, helping to create um, an opulent uh, and, and well-run um, society for, for the citizens.
0: So... Finally, what does this particular contextualization that you're offering here? What does that do to our understanding of the American founding, this great moment of the creation of a nation state, which which in in your telling, uh, is not a source of principal allegiance. And has the founding looked different? Um, is the American Revolution uh, a dividing point, or do you see strong continuities? Um, where where does the found how does the founding look after after this book do you think
1: I think that question will have to depend on on what you're interested in um as as a historian or as as a reader of of a history book or as an American citizen. So it's, it's, it's going to be a more complex answer than maybe we want. But one thing I can say that I certainly believe is true is that the claim often made by historians that the constitution set out to do something, uh, namely uh, stop this trend towards a more democratic society and the claim that it failed in this, That, I think, is wrong because it's looking in the wrong place. If we accept that the Constitution was more about international matters, then we need to look at what the federal government did on the Atlantic Ocean out in the Western borderlands. And I'm the first to admit that there were all kinds of problems here and that the U.S. often looked weak um, compared to European states, for for sure. But... uh, Compared to what what was going on under the Articles of Confederation, it is a real success story. So that's one important part of, of, uh, of the answer, I think. The other is that I think for some of the interpretations that have been made uh, of the founding, um, in future, we need to look in different places so... Stop looking at the national level and look more at at the state level. So if we're interested in things like democratization, economic modernization, so transition to capitalism, transition to democracy, which is something that is typically associated with the founding, then we should really look at, at the states and not at the federal government. Another thing that is also very much associated with the founding is um, individual rights, right? Um, the evolution of, of uh, liberties and, and rights. And again, actually not that much happens at, at the federal level compared to what's going on at the states. And here, I think it's really important to keep in mind that, that the founding is not just about change, it's about continuity to a large degree. So for, for enslaved people, for example, this is certainly not a an, an, uh, progressive or emancipatory moment in, in any way. Uh, if we are interested in, in some of the other areas that, that have traditionally been the focus of American historians, like territorial expansion, uh, American Indian policy in relations to, to American Indians then the federal government is really important uh, and we we, we have to, to look at what the constitution makes possible for the federal government to do out, out in the western borderlands and here so for the people who are at the receiving end of American state power like Native Americans uh, and and other people living on on the continent in the areas the ones that eventually would become the United States, then the story is is of, of the founding is the story of the creation of a much stronger American central government that is able to to conquer these areas and to to conquer these peoples and to end their self government. Uh, and that's why I said earlier that. It, this new scholarship inserts the, the constitution into a story of empire, uh, the growth of, of an imperial um, power on the North American continent. And that's another area then where, where the federal government matters and related to this, uh, and that would be in relations to um, competitors, uh, mainly in Europe, but also uh, on the North American continent, because. That's what the federal government does, right, on the basis of the Constitution. It looks, it looks after these these questions, these policy areas. So, um, I'm I'm afraid I'm I'm not going to be able to give um, a, a, such a straightforward answer as as I would like to. So I would have to say that the story of the Constitution is is a complex story uh, and of the founding. The constitution matters a great deal to the ability of of the United States to to defend its independence and its interests against competitors. The constitution does not matter so much to what is going on domestically. And here I really think what we need to do is look much, much more at what's happening at state level than we have done in the past.
0: I've been talking to Max Edling, who's reader in early American history at King's College London. The book, Perfecting the Union, National and State Authority in the U.S. Constitution, is hot off Oxford University Press. Max, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me.
1: Thank you very much for having me.